0: hey true crime friends so this episode is really isn't an episode i just wanted to give you guys just a little of this (laughs) Patreon episode. So without any further ado here it is. On March 1st, 2000 the year of the millennium the police of Aberdeen, Australia were called to the home of a man named John Price at around like 8am. Police approached the home and they knocked. No one answered and one of the responding officers actually stated that they had noticed blood on the door jam. So because of that and because of the person who had called in expressing concern for John Price, they decided the best course of action would be next to break into the home. Because again, I mean, it's probable cause. Now, literally, and I mean literally, nothing could have prepared these poor officers for what they were about to witness. When they walked in, they noticed, and even the one who had looked through like the mail slot to see what was going on, had noticed that there was a curtain blocking their view into the kitchen. Or at least something they thought was a curtain. Now, when one of the officers tried to move the curtain, you know, because they're walking through the house. They're trying to get through. They're trying to figure out what the fuck is going on. As he's moving this curtain, after a while, he realizes that, like, his left arm is cold. You know, the arm that he used to push said curtain. And he looks down and he sees just, like, a shit ton of blood. And at first, he's like, oh, well, maybe, like, I must have hurt myself while trying to break into this home. But even though, like, despite the fact that he was kind of just like, yeah, I'm pretty sure, like, I didn't actually cut myself trying to break into this house. But yet, my arm's covered with blood, so I must be the one bleeding, right? Sadly... That was not the case because, well, the curtain that was hanging in that archway blocking the view, that wasn't actually a curtain at all. It was John Price's, the man who owned the home, his actual flesh hanging, minus his head, but hanging from butcher hooks. Again, they're moving through the house. They're trying to figure out what's going on. So they're not necessarily noticing this information. But they're moving through. They see blood splatter literally everywhere. I mean, blood is everywhere. It's on the walls. It's on the carpet. And they're finding literal pieces of human remains scattered through different rooms. When they get to the kitchen, they notice that there is a pot on the stove. And the stove is on. And one of the investigators actually was thinking to himself and he was going to joke about it. Just because he seems to be like that type of person who just, you know, jokes in the face of atrocity. Was going to be like, well, you know, I'll bet money where the head is. Sadly, he would be right. Right. But beside that, there were also plates set on the table with slices of meat, gravy, and vegetables. Now, the officers were kind of like, because this set the scene. This set the scene for the officers to believe that like, okay, maybe, you know, he was planning on having a dinner. And the dinner was prepared, and then, like, you know, shit went bad. You know, they're not trying to jump to any conclusions, which I appreciate. So the officers, you know, move around throughout the house, and they hear someone snoring. So they go to the room in which they hear this snoring, and they just find more blood. And a woman lying on a bed in one of the bedrooms. And... Even though they try to wake her, she remains unconscious. However, she is alive and not nearly as injured. I mean, there are literally no other injuries to her other than the fact that she is unconscious and unresponsive. The woman that was in John Price's bed was his 49-year-old partner named Catherine Mary knight Catherine mary knight was born on october 24th in 1955 in tenterfield australia which at that time was considered to be like a area for like the slaughterhouse workers like it was literally like designated that like the people who worked in the slaughterhouse lived here they also had like a honeymoon area like where you know couples whether they met at the slaughterhouse, which has another name, I want to say. But I, (laughs) you know, you know me, I suck at memorizing how to pronounce things. And also, since it wasn't just simply slaughterhouse, I just, you know, forgot. But anyway, like I said, you know, they had these different living areas and different housing areas. And it was a very tight knit community of people who worked specifically at the slaughterhouse. Now, she was born to a woman named Barbara Roguehand. And the father was not, I mean, his name was Ken Knight, but he was not the person that Barbara was married to. <laughs> Barbara was married to a man named Jack. So to say that, you know, Catherine's birth was scandalous might be undercutting it just a little bit, especially for that time. Now, and I hate to say this, but I feel like most people born during this time, it would be an understatement to say that they had a rough, or that Catherine and those born during that time period had a rough childhood. But Catherine specifically, like I said, her birth was a scandal because clearly her mother was married to another man and had a child with another, which obviously during that time, not okay. All in all, Catherine had four older half-brothers and three other siblings, including an older sister. Now, it was said that Catherine and her siblings lived in a very tumultuous home. Specifically because of their father. It was said that he would rape Barbara, their mother, multiple times a day. Like, up to ten times a day. And in front of the children and it was also said that he would frequently just beat her again in front of their children now if this man is doing to his wife I can't imagine what the children were experiencing and it was said that Catherine had even claimed that she had been sexually assaulted by family members up until the age of 11 so like I said you know, and I always say this. I have sympathy for the child. I have no sympathy for the adult, which with Catherine, we won't get on to talk about that. But at this current moment in time of Catherine's life in her childhood, of course I feel bad for her. I mean, no one wants to have to go through that. No one should A, be subjected to physical violence on the daily but they also should definitely not be exposed to sexual violence on the daily like that's just ugh. even i mean and again even if Catherine herself wasn't being sexually assaulted the fact of her having to watch her mother being sexually assaulted like i just i can't imagine the amount of stress and the amount of trepidation she must have felt and the amount of confusion because I feel like kids at such a young age like whether we want to or not we have this view of our parents of being not like gods but like in a way infallible because they're the people we look to to shape our morality and just our whole world view so for the fact that she had just, like, horrible examples, like, I can't even imagine, like, where do you turn to? And again, as a child, like, I I can't say that I blame her for her actions as a child, you know, because it was said that she was a bully, and, you know, she picked on other kids, which, again, makes total sense, because, I mean, she's being picked on at home, she just probably automatically assumes that that's okay even though it's not but she survived in school till about 15 when she quote-unquote dropped out from there she landed what she had said was her dream job which was working at the slaughterhouse and to be fair I mean she worked her way up I mean she started as just like kind of like a custodian and would like clean up after the fact and then eventually she moved up to working like in the boning department and then eventually like the awful room and not to be confused with the word awful as in terrible we're talking about <laughs> the word awful spelled o-f-f-a-l which means the preparation of organ meat so essentially what she would do is beside from taking out the bones she also separated the organ meat for you know this slaughterhouse so they could sell it and make money but many people said like you know she was really good at her job and really good at you know handling a knife some people there were sources out there that said this that she would actually hang her knives above her bed I don't know if it was, like, a mobile situation. I mean, but that's the first thing that comes to mind. <laughs> like, she would hang them over her bed, you know, because, you know, just in case she ever needed to use them. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters. Which I know it's probably really gross to say right now, but if you did, you can go over to patreon.com slash boiler room, click the tier you would like to join. It's as little as five dollars, so I mean, you know, if you could buy me a coffee once a month, that'd be really cool. But from there, you'll be able to have access not to just that episode, but every single Patreon episode that we have out so far. So like I said, go over to patreon.com slash ivory tower boiler room and become a subscriber today so you can finish the rest of this episode.
1: Thank you so much for listening to the ivory tower boiler room. Welcome to the fall season. The ivory tower boiler room is a public humanities podcast where we interview writers, scholars, performers, and artists. Episodes air on Mondays. I am Andrew Rimby, the executive director, I'm so happy to welcome my team, Mary DePippi, our chief contributor, Kimberly Dallas, our editor, and an amazing fall group of interns. Thank you to this team. Please follow the Ivory Tower Boiler Room on TikTok and Instagram at Ivory Tower Boiler Room. Easy to remember. Our Twitter is at Ivory Boiler Room. And we have a whole new design for our Patreon. It is called the Ivory Tower Boiler Room Cafe because you're joining us and eavesdropping on our conversations that are unedited videos of all of our Ivory Tower Boiler Room episodes as if you're eavesdropping in a cafe overhearing the conversation. Well, talking about overhearing a conversation, hi, Mary.
0: Hello, Andrew, and hello, everyone. I'm Mary DePippe, the host of True Crime and Academia a podcast, well, a true crime podcast, that is focused mainly on the crimes committed by and to those in the field of academia. Episodes air every Tuesday at noon. You can follow True Crime and Academia on Instagram and TikTok at True Crime and Academia, and on Twitter at TC in Academia, because Twitter hates extra characters, as we all know. And as Andrew alluded to earlier, we have a Patreon, and True Crime in Academia has exclusive bonus episodes for subscribers. As a true crime enthusiast, I don't necessarily like to pigeonhole my true crime interests. So over on the Patreon, I cover some of the more high-profile cases not related to academia, such as the murder of Jean Benet Ramsey and the case of Casey Anthony. So if you want access to videos like that, go over to patreon.com slash boiler and become a subscriber.
1: Thank you all for joining us. And here's to an amazing fall season. Whoop. Bye. Whoop. Bye everyone.